Imagine being told in order to survive, you need a triple organ transplant, an incredibly rare medical procedure. Our guest today is Daru Smith, survivor of that rare surgery, receiving a heart, kidney, and liver transplant all at one time. I'm Marianne Shuck, the host of Let's Talk Hope, a podcast sharing stories about the gift of organ and tissue donation from the perspective of donor families, transplant recipients, those waiting, and subject matter experts. Listen in for this amazing story. Daru, thank you so much for being here with us today. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to need a rare heart, kidney, and liver transplant three organs at one time? Um, well, my transplant story started in 2014, actually. No, I'm sorry, 2012. Uh, I was in a car accident and um, I was T-boned and come to find out when I got to the hospital, um, since I didn't have any external injuries, they thought I was bleeding bad uh, inside. And they were doing all of these ultrasounds and x-rays and they asked me, they said, had you ever had any major surgery? And I told them no. And everyone looked kind of baffled. And they told me, they said, well, one of your kidneys are missing. And come to find out, I was born with a rare condition called a horseshoe kidney. And what happens is when you're forming in your mother's womb, um, your kidneys start off as a single patty and they split and you get one on both sides. But mine's never split. Um, so I just had one kidney on the right side behind my liver. That was 2012. Fast forward to early 2015, I had a random shortness of breath that was so bad, I decided to go to the hospital. See, I was a really avid runner. Like Running was my thing. I loved it. And the shortness of breath was so bad, it scared me into going into the hospital. So I went into the hospital and they did a chest x-ray. And the doctor came back and he said, hey, look, we want to take you to emergency surgery. We believe you have a cancerous tumor in your chest. So he pulls out this x-ray and he shows me this huge mass on the right side of my chest just glowing. It looks like it was centered to the right, just glowing. He said, we need to take you to surgery. And honestly, it freaked me out so bad. I ran out of the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I can, but, but wait a minute. But wait a minute. So, you know, let's go back for a second. Because when you talk about, you know, having this rare disease, you're this healthy child. Your parents never knew you had a, a challenge with your kidneys. No pediatrician. Nobody ever intimated that, you know, you were born with one kidney out of all the examinations that you've had, and then you went on to become this avid runner. How did that happen? Honestly, I'm not sure. and I, I But I think it was because I primarily lived a healthy lifestyle. See, I wasn't a smoker or a drinker. Again, I used to really love running. Um, this is just a joke of me to me. I was always on the heavier side. So my motto was always, you know, they would never say the fat guy was outran. <laughs> <laughs> so even in like football and basketball, you know, I used to love the challenge. You know, I get on the court and you know how they'd be like, oh, they got the fat dude out here. Come on with it. I'm finna cross him over. And I'm like, no, I don't have a jumper, but I'm defense king. You know, like you're not getting past me. So I believe that's what the matter was. And with me being in a car accident, it was like almost a forced 
in-depth inspection of my body compared to, you know, you go to the regular doctor's appointment, they run the blood work and they're like, oh, you know, everything is healthy. He looks fine. And even then at that time, there was no real damage to the kidney. It was just like, oh, wow, you know, one kidney that's still conjoined. So you may eventually have kidney issues. They said most people who had it will probably need dialysis at about the age 70. So I was totally fine with that, right? Yeah, so I was totally fine Absolutely. with that. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'll be a father, a grandfather. I'd have been walking some kids across the stage and down the aisle. Look, I'm totally fine with that. I'll be retired traveling the world. So I'm, I'm cool with that. So that's what it was with the kidney. Awesome. And so fast forward, you, you got this, you know, you got this mass. They take the mass out. And what did they find? Because we're not talking about one organ. We're talking about three. So how did this come together that you needed three organs? Yeah. So it was more so like a trickle down effect. And what happened was with the mass, they actually never took the mass out. Um, again, I, I no, no. So what happened was, again, I, I ended up running out of the hospital. I forgot you ran out of the hospital. Yeah, so I ran out of the hospital, <laughs> honestly, because I couldn't, I said, I'm 26 years old. Like I got a cancerous tumor in my chest. Like it, it freaked me out because honestly, when I say an avid runner, I mean it. That was my thing. And I'm just like, no, this, I don't understand this. So honestly, uh, I believe in holistic health. You know, so when I left the hospital, I was like, look, I'm going to start taking herbs. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start <laughs> meditating. I'm going to learn, learn yoga. Like, literally, I was like looking into all this stuff, like hot yoga, like everything. Right. But then my honestly, favorite hot yoga is my Bikram yoga is my favorite. Yes. So um, I sat down that night and I contemplated everything. And I said, well, if I'm going to fight it, I need to understand exactly what's going on so i went to the hospital the very next day uh christ medical center um on 95th street i went back to the hospital the next day and so happened the same doctor was there he was like look you know we need to take you to surgery so they prepped me for surgery and honestly this is where things got really weird at they prepped me for surgery and they decide to do another x-ray and the mass was gone no yes the mass was gone so they take me to the emergency room section. They do another x-ray there. And then they take me to the children's section of the hospital. And they was like, we know what we seen yesterday. Like he has the same x-ray, honestly. Like everybody was confused. And what happened was we proceeded to do the biopsy. And what was discovered was I had a condition called sarcoidosis. So with sarcoidosis, when it's inflamed, it literally glows on the x-ray. But when it's not inflamed, you will never know it's there. So sarcoidosis is an autoimmune disease that honestly lives dormant in the body. It lives. Wow. Yes. So you can have it and it will never bother you. And then you can have it and it can affect you in different areas like your eyes, your skin um, and things of that nature. And what made my situation so much more rare is they thought the sarcoidosis was in my lungs. When we seen the mass, yes. So they thought it was in my lungs when we seen the mass. So they diagnosed me with pulmonary sarcoidosis. But the entire time, see, when they diagnosed me with the pulmonary sarcoidosis, they would treat me for pulmonary sarcoidosis. And what would happen is 
for two years, two and a half, three years, they were treating me for the pulmonary sarcoidosis. So I would have this really bad shortness of breath, and then they would send me to the pulmonary classes. And what would happen was, you know, they would sit me in this dome, and what it would do is compress and decompress my, my lungs for me, basically stretching my lungs for me. And it would be so weird because I would tell them, I would say, look, I can breathe, but I can't breathe. And they would look at me so crazy. And I would tell them that because I would feel my lungs expanding, but it just felt like I could not get the air to me. If you could understand what I'm saying, I'm like, I I can understand because my sister-in-law had pulmonary sarcoidosis uh, really badly in her lungs. And she did end up passing from that because she needed a lung transplant Mm -hmm. and she just wasn't well enough to get a lung transplant. So I can totally understand how you got to that point, but we still haven't gotten to the point of the three organs. It's, it's, it's true. It's a a combination of things. Cause again, it's a trickle down effect. So first it was the misdiagnosis, you know? um, So again, they were treating me for the pulmonary sarcoidosis but the entire time it was in my heart. That was the wow. issue. Yes. So after two years of treatment, um, I had a really bad. So the medicine they were prescribing me to treat the pulmonary sarcoidosis had really bad side effects on me. It caused me to develop cyanitis and I will have these really bad nasal infections to the point to where I could not breathe out of my nose. I mean, I would literally have to keep water next to my bed. So I would wake up and my tongue would be stuck to my teeth. My mouth would be that dry. And mm. one day um, I came in from work and this is like, was the turning point for me. Um, I came in from work and honestly, um, I hear this voice say, open the window, open the window. I went into the bathroom to use the washroom and I just remember waking up. I just remember opening the the bathroom window. And when I came to, honestly, my pants were down and I was stuck between the toilet and the vanity. And I'm not sure how long I laid there on that floor before I can crawl to my room. And I remember that time when they took me to the hospital, I said, they have to answer these questions. They have to. And I refused to leave. I, I refused to. I, I, I refused to. You know, I went into a rant in the hospital and, and I told <laughs> them, honestly, I don't understand it. Like, how am I blacking out now? You know, like what is going on? Right. So they decide to do a more in-depth inspection of me. Come okay. to find out I never had sarcoidosis in my lungs the whole entire time. The sarcoid was in a right ventricular valve of my heart. And the thing about the right ventricular valve is this particular valve, it pumps the blood up from the liver back out into your body. So with the sarcoid destroying the valve that pumps the blood to the body, when I would breathe, my body would get the oxygen. But since the valve to pump the blood isn't working, my body wasn't being oxygenized because, you know, the oxygen is carried through the blood throughout the body. So since the blood wasn't Um, properly flowing through my body that's why I could not breathe because my body wasn't being oxygenized because the blood wasn't properly flowing so when they realized that it was like oh my goodness we're so sorry it was a misdiagnosis and I'm like yeah but by this time my heart refraction rate I believe was at 48 percent 
And I'm just wow. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, how how did you feel about the misdiagnosis? Because what was the time frame for this? Okay, so I was diagnosed in 2015, and the misdiagnosis came around early 2017. And honestly, it had broke my heart. It broke my heart. It broke my heart because I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional now. But the thing was, my son was born in 2015. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Daru Smith Jr. And right (laughs) after that is when I was diagnosed with the sarcoidosis. And it would be so hard on me. Just imagine you have a two-year-old son or a two-year-old child and you attempting to teach this child how to ride on a tricycle. And instead of you being the motivator, you know, like push with your feet, you can do it, push with your feet. It was the other way around. My son would literally be, he would say things like, it's okay, dad, just lean on the gate and catch your breath. I'm not going to leave you. I promise I'm not going to leave you because I will be that short of breath. So when they told me, they say, well, it's actually in your heart and not in your lungs. I did not know what to think. My only concern was, how do we fix this? I have a two-year-old son to raise. You know, like when you look at this guy, he's me. Every bit of him, he's me. So that was the real thing. And honestly, I had broke down. I cried in the shower. I punched the walls. Like when I say I had emotional breakdowns all the time, I mean it because I couldn't understand how I went from an avid runner. I mean, I was the guy that wake up in the morning and not eat cereal. I would literally eat mixed vegetables for breakfast. And my family would be like, dude, you tripping. <laughs> like we all eating pancakes and sausage and eggs and you eating mixed vegetables with stash <laughs> for breakfast. Like what's going on? And, you know, mm-hmm. like I couldn't understand like why and how it happened to me with the healthy lifestyle I was living. With the heart failing, what happens is that particular valve pumps the blood from the liver. And with that valve not working correctly, all the blood would just build up in the liver. So I ended up developing non-alcoholic fatty liver. Oh, wow. Yes. So it caused the liver to start failing as well. And the really weird thing was this. It's extremely weird, like 0.1% that people get sarcoidosis in their heart. So it was an extremely rare case. Like, you know, wow, this is different. It's sarcoid in his heart. And then on top of that, the sarcoidosis actually ended up spreading to the liver as well. So that was a big thing. And they was like, well, you know, you don't have to worry about it in the liver because the liver regenerates itself. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, you said I had non-alcoholic fatty liver. <laughs> you know, so right. what are we supposed to do with this? And with the liver beginning to fail, all the filtration process began to fall off on a single kidney that I had. So it was truly a trickle down effect. And that's, that's really the sum of it. So Daru, you wind up in the hospital, you need a heart, you need a kidney, you need a liver. You've been in the hospital for a little bit. And then there's someone uh, down the hall who also needs the same rare triple organ donation that you need. What was that like to experience that one, knowing this is a rare accomplishment, and then two, that somebody else is going through the exact same thing that you were going through? Well, 
from the beginning, honestly, I was ignorant to the whole process. Um, throughout the entire time I had been sick, I never fathomed getting a single organ transplant. So when I came into the hospital, it was a learning process for me. I mean, um, honestly, I still have like WebMD on my phone, MedicalDictionary.com, MedicalEncyclopedia.com. You know, I have wait, all of this. Wait, stuff. wait, 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 wait. WebMD is a is an app. <laughs> Yeah, they Web and D have Web and D <laughs> too because um they didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so this wise old man he told me he said, "Don't call yourself analytical. Just say you like words." So I do a lot of research, and when they was telling me all of this stuff, see, they never told me from the beginning the process of organ transplantation. So what happened was uh, Sarah and I both was in physical rehab and. As you mentioned earlier, to in order for you to get the surgery, you actually have to be strong enough physically to have the surgery. And that was the that was one of the hard parts. It's like, dude, I'm super sick. You want me to walk on this treadmill with three IVs and two IV poles <laughs> and IV in my neck and back and everything? But um, Sarah and I, we were both in physical rehab and we were walking on the treadmill. And what happened was. I heard her mother talking about sarcoidosis. So I wanted to know what she knew about it. You know, um, she ended up telling me everything. She said, well, I'm not here for me. I'm here for my daughter, Sarah. And Sarah needs a heart, liver, and kidney. So when she said that to me, honestly, it scared me. And it scared me because, again, I was ignorant to the process. So I thought to myself, her and I were like almost in competition for our lives. Because I was thinking to myself, oh, Yes, because I said to myself, like, wow, so whoever gets a donor first, that's who, I mean, if the donor comes, who gets to, you know, receive the organs first? Like, how do you guys decide between Sarah and I, you know, and we both have like amazingly beautiful families and we have, both of us have so much going for ourselves, like, how do you guys just do this? Like, is this an any, mini, mighty, mo thing? Do you guys drop straws in a bucket? Like, what's going on? So after I learned that, when the team came around the next morning, um, because they come around, you know, they do their rounds, and I called all of the teams, you know, together. It was the heart, liver, and kidney team. And I was like, hey, I need you guys to tell me what's going on. And to be honest, they all laughed at me like, no, Daru, it does not work like that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So they really had to educate me. They was like, well, look, Daru, first off, you're six one. Your natural weight is around 200 pounds. You know, and they was like, well, you know, Sarah is this tall. Her natural weight is this weight. So just think about it, Daru. Your lungs will be too big for her body, right? I say, yeah, you know, my lungs are probably bigger than her chest. And they was like, exactly. It works the same way for your heart, liver, kidney, intestines, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, okay, that's some real relief right here. In actuality, you all are, are, are because we're an organ procurement, you guys are actually, you know, two different transplant pools, right? You're looking for two different type of donors. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. we are. Yes. And see, I, I had to be educated on all of that because, again, I was ignorant to a lot of it. And, you know, I was it was a huge relief because I'm like, dude, y'all have us walking together and we becoming friends. And then now it's like, oh, well, whoever gets the, you know, Godiva first, that's who lives. And it was like a sucky process originally. So I thought, you know, um, but after I was educated about it, to be honest, 
it was a huge helping hand for me because, you know, you go through things in life and people sit around and I don't want to say out of empathy. You know, sometimes it's empathy. A lot of times it's genuine. You know, they attempt to put themselves in your shoes and say, I understand what you're going through. But there's nothing like actually having someone to literally walk in the same shoes that you walking in and say, I understand what you're going through. And that was the most powerful part for me. So it was a real relief to actually have somebody again that was going through the same situation. It was like almost like having somebody hand to hold through the whole process. You know, we got everybody else cheering us on, but for somebody to literally feel the same pain you feel. Absolutely. Because not only did you guys both need a heart, kidney, and liver, that was a rare feat in itself. But to have the same type of diagnosis that led to it is even rare. And really presented, you know, as we talk about, you know, through the different articles that I've written about you, the different things that you've participated in with the Secretary of State and things of that nature, you know, people don't really connect the dots that way that not only was the the surgery medical miracle, but actually you two to each other were a medical miracle in itself. And so tell me about what happened after you woke up from the transplant. You want the honest truth? <laughs> yes, the honest truth. <laughs> the honest truth is the first thing I heard was this rap song. It wasn't even a song. It was the course of the song. And it's by this rapper named Drake and Soldier Boy. Mm-hmm. And as I began to come to, I just heard the beat like, dun, 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 dun. and the course goes like, we made it. And that was all I was thinking about. Like, I heard that song, like, we made it. And I'm like, yo, I'm alive. I'm alive. (laughs) (laughs) How wonderful. That's wonderful. And I started doing, like, a body check. And I'm like, toes, check. Legs, check. Yes, sir. I'm in here. And it was like, the whole center part of my body just felt numb. But I knew it was there. I felt that it was there. But I felt like... I have been shot with numbness, you know. Um, so I was totally fine with that. And I was just like doing all my checks, like, okay, I'm I can hear through both of my ears. I feel like I can breathe through both of my nostrils. I feel my fingers, like I can feel my back. I was just going through the process of like making sure I can feel everything. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Wait, can I talk? Don't tell me I'm just stuck in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> now, did Sarah have her transplant the same day as yours? So what happened was I went to surgery December 19th and I came out of surgery December 20th. So Sarah went into surgery December 20th and came out December 21st. So we were literally back to back 37 hours straight. 37 hours straight. Yes. Same teams or different teams? No, same exact team. Awesome. Yes, <laughs> they had to yes. be exhausted. Yes. And Sarah said that she was like, you know, coming into it, she was actually scared because she like, wait, they just did the root surgery for 17 hours. All of the same people, you know, and yeah, she definitely mentioned being a little frightened about that. Well, I will tell you, being in organ and tissue transplantation, Daru, we are like adrenaline junkies. We thrive 
on, you know, something amazing happening. And so we, we thrive on adrenaline. And so that just fuels what we do and how we do it. So I can imagine those doctors are like, we're making history. This is incredible. We've never done this before. So they were probably living on adrenaline, but also having the skill to be renowned surgeons was incredible as well. And so fast forward, you've had your surgery, you're out, uh, you're now working for the Secretary of State, your child is now seven years old. What's life like for you? It's amazing. Um, I love working for the Secretary of State because it's nothing like actually telling your own life story. You know, um, I love the impact that I have on people, not just with being able to inform them about the importance of organ and tissue donation, but also being able to show them a success story that has actually overcome adversity. You know, there's a difference between hearing about it and then actually seeing someone standing directly in front of you that's like been through as much as I've been through. You know, when they see me, they be like, there's no way you had three organs. And then in the process of, you know, um, the presentation, I showed them the video and they like, wait, dude, that was you? Yes, that was, you know, that was me. And um, life is amazing. Life is amazing. Um, when I tell, I want to say this, in the videos, like on a lot of the YouTube videos and et cetera, they talk about my son. When I say he's vested into this surgery, I mean it, he's vested. Um, there are some of the YouTube videos that he can literally repeat verbatim. I mean, word for word. And he goes around and he tells everybody like, me and my dad are famous. We was on YouTube. We made world history. <laughs> like my dad made world history and I was in the video with my dad, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Even this past summer, we went to, um, I think it was like Raging Rivers Waterfall to the water park. And we get there and we pull in the parking lot and the lady was like, uh, $10 for parking. And as I was getting my wallet, my son, I hear him letting the window down. And I was going to say, Rue, let the window up. And he said to her, he said, we got to pay for parking. And she said, yeah, it's $10. He said, you don't know who that is? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, um, no. He was like, the triple organ transplant dude, world history, all over YouTube, all on the news. So he, she was like, no. And it, it just like, it made me laugh so much because like he literally lives in that. Even to the point, I think maybe a month ago, um, I ended up coming down with the flu. And I called him and I talked to him. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not feeling good. Um, I just, I have the flu. And he was like, you got the flu? I said, yeah, and his response made me laugh so hard. He said, I didn't know that. They didn't even put that on the news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he thinks you're supposed to be on the news every single day. That yeah. you're, okay, so you yeah. are the so you are the Michael Jordan of organ transplant yes, in your in son's his, mind. Yes, in his mind, I am the Michael Jordan. He was like, that wasn't even on the news. And I had to explain to him, I was like, well, you know, Everything don't go on the news that goes on with me. He was like, but I remember when you had your surgery, it was on all the news channels. It was everywhere. 
And I was like, yeah, you know, that's right. So he like that that really stuck with him from a very young age. Daru, this has just been so amazing talking to you today. And, you know, as we wrap up, tell me a little bit about what you would say to people who, in your mind, are healthy, living their best lives, and all of a sudden, bam, a health challenge sneaks up on them. And, you know, to be able to navigate it in the way that you've navigated it. What would you say to people? And then what do you say to your organ donor? So we didn't even talk about that. So what do you know about your donor? Did you did your liver, heart, and kidney all come from one donor? Yes. Um, first, I'll go into the part where you, you know spoke about people going into adversity. I would say this. Um, regardless of what goes on, keep faith. A lot of times we don't see the light until we get to the end of the tunnel. Um, there's always light after the darkness. The night comes, but the sun shines in the morning. And I feel with my transplant surgery, I feel it came in full circle. And I feel it came in full circle because my biggest motivation, honestly, when I was in the hospital, I was ready to give up. I was tired. I didn't see it happening for me. Although I had faith, I knew I would get out of the situation I was in, but I just couldn't see how. So with that, it was kind of, you know, deterring for me. But my biggest motivation was my son. And this is why I say my story came full circle. The guy who organs I received stayed in the same apartment building as my son. His family called my son's mother. When the story made the news, his family called my son's mother and was like, hey, our cousin saved your son's father's life. No. um, Yes. And the way we came to the conclusion was this. When I was in the University of Chicago, they told me that they had to go to Northwestern Memorial to check out the organs. Their cousin had been at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Um, He was brain dead, had been brain dead a few days, I believe. And they only donated his heart, liver and kidney to the University of Chicago. And the University of Chicago told them that he saved one life. And come to find out, him and I, we were the same blood type, same height, weight, and stature, and everything. We met all the requirements to be compatible matches for one another for the transplant. And that's how we we came to the conclusion. And yes, so a lot of so they opted out of actually needing me. But a lot of times I pick up my son when I go to his mom's house and pick him up. His mom will screenshot me the text message feed. And I don't know who they are, but they know who I am. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she would show me in the feed like, hey, they said you look nice. You know, they they seen you and et cetera. So, yeah, it, it came full. It came full circle. Again, I don't know who they are, but they know who yeah, I am. But- but one day is you know it's always fresh and one day you you'll be able to write them and we can you know help you with that or your transplant center actually can help you with that because we we navigate the donor side the donor family but write them a letter and just let them know how thankful you are uh, for the gift of life that they've given you and trust me it, that will go a long way in really 
helping them to feel good about the gift that they gave because they gave a selfless gift. And so uh, I'm, I'm so excited that you were the recipient of that gift. You are here for your seven-year-old. And just any last words of wisdom that you have? I would just say this, uh, and, I, and I always leave off, you know, anytime I do presentations or anything with this. Without organ and tissue donation, my son would not have a father. He was my biggest motivation to get through all of this. So I just want to say thank you. And I want to encourage people to live a healthy lifestyle and actually consider being a registered organ and tissue donation because it really does make a difference. I'm living proof of it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Hope. We hope you've learned new information that will encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor on giftofhope.org. And if you like what you've heard today, we hope that you will listen again wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor for Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a lot of questions about the donation process and how does it work. So we're going to spin the wheel and answer some questions from our audience. So let's give the wheel a huge spin and it's going around and it's stopped on question number 22. Are transplant recipients at higher risk for COVID-19? This is a great question as we're still in the pandemic phase of COVID. So the American Society of Transplantation has published a transplant community frequently asked questions resource providing detailed information for transplant recipients regarding COVID-19. The FAQ document is regularly updated with current information. So please contact your transplant program care team for further questions about your health needs. And for more information about what's on the FAQ, please visit transplantliving.org slash COVID. Thank you for that question. We've got a lot more questions to put on the wheel and thank you and keep them coming. Thank you for listening to Get Let's Talk Hope. We encourage you to start the conversation today about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones and make your wishes known. You can learn more about donation and register to be a donor at giftofhope.org. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet. And if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.